welcome to Into the Aether. It's a low-key video game podcast, and my name is Brendan Bigley. I'm Stephen Hilger, and I appreciate you always going first. I don't know what this show would look like or if it would even exist if I had to open it every time, you know? <laughs> We'd still be recording an episode. <laughs> I feel like, no, 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 that wasn't perfect. That, was, that sounded weird. Start over. <laughs> it, it, would be, it would be ongoing. It would actually be a 24-7 live stream of us attempting to record a podcast. It'd be like Twitch plays Pokemon, but as a show. Yeah. <laughs> left, 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 right, 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 right. Spin, 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 spin. Hello, but see, see, eventually I would get it. I would love Twitch cobbles together and into the Aether episode. <laughs> That'd be very fun. It'd probably be better, honestly. What would happen if we just streamed live on Twitch and read every comment? And that was the, that was the content of the episode. We didn't say who sent it. It was just like whatever somebody typed into Twitch is the next thing that we said. Oh, so they had to decide what we say. Yeah, that could be fun. Honestly, I feel like the the Discord and, and people who have like vocal fans know us better than we know ourselves. There's right now actually, which is kind of a crossover to something that's actually happening uh, in our Discord. We mentioned this last episode, but in our Discord, there's like a ongoing election to vote for like the top 10 list of, of ITA games. Yeah. Um, so games like that, like art that kind of fit our show's brand. And it's really interesting to hear what people think goes into what is considered an ITA game. Uh, yeah. I find it very interesting and kind of flattering, weirdly. I, I would have to scroll too far to find it again. But um, if you wrote this, you know who you are. Somebody in there was like, when I think of in Into the Aether video game, I think of literally any video game that Brendan and Steven have somehow found fun. <laughs> <laughs> That adds up. Which I do yeah. think is the actual answer there. Yeah. We were just sense. talking before we started recording about um, carving out some time to play Mass Effect Andromeda, you know, and like really diving into it. So, yeah, that's kind of our shtick, I think. <laughs> Anything that works. Whatever you got. <laughs> the bargain bin given life. Yeah. I want to I want to be perfectly upfront about my vibe this episode. Um, I just spent the last couple of days like in a house in the woods doing literally nothing, which um, was very relaxing. And I still feel very relaxed. I have like the post massage kind of like mm. swagger about me. You know, I'm just kind of like floating from one thing to another. It's also nighttime. It's almost 9 p.m. here. Um, I'm drinking a beer. It's like a it's a very chill time. It is actually a low key video game podcast on my end this week, at least. Yeah. Steven, on the other hand, is being swarmed by flies in his apartment. I've been I, I not only am I being swarmed by flies, I, I've become kind of a hive mind of locusts. Uh, <laughs> I've sort of taken a plague aesthetic on yeah. and I've been drinking nothing but monster energy. <laughs> so we got some got a sick duality. Woods never heard of him. I like uh, drinks that give me energy. <laughs> What is this? I did buy body soap called Timber, though. So there's oh, a thematic connection. That is very nice. Brendan, I've been playing a game. I think we both have, but I think I've been playing a little bit more uh, that I that I picked up completely on a whim. And that, I, I guess that goes into the DNA of an ITA game is trying to go in as blind as possible. Yeah. At least at least for me. But it was a game that uh, a friend of ours, younger brother, said it's the game they've been waiting for their whole life. <laughs> yeah. Uh, shout out to Navid, my my uh, partner's little brother who uh, came with their parents to like, uh, you know, check out the new apartment right when we moved into it. And uh, I was outside like doing some stuff on the deck, like building some furniture or something. And I came in and he had gone through the tutorial and he just turned around. And he goes, hey, man, 
I beat the tutorial for you. This is the game I've been waiting for my whole life. We were like, whoa. I had never heard of it. I, I mean, I had heard of it, but I downloaded it just kind of on a whim because I went on the the PSN store and it was just like, new game, spell break, and it's free. And I was like, oh yeah, I think I remember seeing that in like a Nintendo Direct or something, you know? But didn't really know what it was. I think I just remembered it was like Battle Royale. It was like a Battle Royale that had like magic spells. And that was kind of it. I was like, whatever, I'll try it out. I, I very frequently bring Battle Royale games to this show, you know? Just because like, it is the, the genre of note at the moment and everyone's trying to, I don't know, know take a stab at it so like maybe maybe uh just being Fortnite with spells instead of guns is enough was what i asked myself when i downloaded it you know did you get it <laughs> sorry this this a fly that has been literally this storm of locust wasn't a joke there is a fly that has been following me for fucking days no matter where i go what open what windows i open what things i spray it's there it's my navi but it's not offering me any tips or advice i want it dead and i think i got it anyway I'm i think we're, i think we're making like a real like postmodern episode of this podcast right now <laughs> Never before has the listener been so like in the rooms with us, you know? Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, they can follow like the lighting and the shadows and everything. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I, you told me uh, that about Spellbreak and just hearing the phrase that someone on this earth said, this is the game I've been waiting for for my entire life. I'm like, if, if even one person feels that strongly about this game, I have, it's free. I'm going to get it. Whatever. Yeah. Glover 2. Here it is. It's <laughs> the game I've been waiting for my whole life. I said that phrase when I when I was very young about the first Super Smash Brothers. I remember I, I remember asking really? my parents to get it. And I said, this is the game I've been waiting for my entire life. So it's a very sacred phrase. Yeah. Um, I might I have felt care. that way about the first Kingdom Hearts, honestly. Looking yeah. back. I, I really appreciate when we bring like whatever's popular to the table and explore why like that's kind of you know if it wasn't if it wasn't for the show and for, for your influence i wouldn't have checked out fortnite at all honestly like yeah. I, I don't really have any i don't have any negativity or any positivity towards that genre but like it's it's been really interesting to check it out and be, okay like this is fun it's not really my thing but like i can see why it's having such a big impact what i've been more interested in is seeing what effects that has so like we've seen pretty much everyone try to make a Fortnite of sorts and i think most successfully we've seen apex legends being like sup we're respawn we make actual shooters yeah we're gonna take this and like make the gameplay of it really tight because i think something that you and i and you especially have commented on with Fortnite is that the game is almost the afterthought at this point it's become Mm -hmm. more of like a second life of sorts where it's more about your avatar and it's more about your connection to others yeah uh excluding the horrific parts of second life but it's become this like kind of mm hub that's more about like how you choose your aesthetic to be and how you exist in this world rather than like the game itself at least for like a lot of the players right 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 um yeah and how the game is marketing itself you know it it brings you and that's a whole other conversation but maybe being a little little bit predatory but the fact that the locker in the shop comes up before start game kind of shows where fortnite's priorities are you know what it is it's it's rainforest cafe's motto being a great place (laughs) to shop and eat and not a great place to eat and shop adding to the post-modernity of this episode pay your respects to the last uh rainforest cafe in chicago went out of business um yeah rest in peace rainforest cafe it was fine what a weird Um, vibe that place has bizarre i love really? the starry night sky in there that was always very nice should we explain the rainforest cafe is like a themed restaurant i think mainly for kids where you go in and there's just like animatronics and like rainforest sounds and it's like very dark uh i don't know it, it had a great vibe to it 
it if you were nine. <laughs> I remember the first time going there, the server, the the underappreciated server was like, hey, uh, just so you know, every 10 minutes there's a thunderstorm and every 15 minutes is a gorilla attack. <laughs> <laughs> that's what's like, to let you know that going in. So the 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 animatronics are all there. That's great. It's exciting for kids. But then the menu is like Safari Burger, and it's like just an yeah. Applebee's cheeseburger, right? Zoo French fries. You know, it's like <laughs> so silly. It's very similar to Jekyll and Hyde in, in New York, uh, which oh is God, like a yeah. haunted eatery that's even more existential. I went there by accident, not realizing what it was. <laughs> What? I was just walking by with a it's friend like a of mine. Castle. <laughs> and we were like, wow, this looks like a weird place to eat. And we walked in and sat down, not realizing like that it was a whole like yeah, song and dance show situation. Zeus is like, welcome to my domain. Yeah. yeah. And like once you're in there and you've already asked how long the wait is, like it's too late, you know? You got to just go through with it. This is full circle because I'm pretty sure you and I talked about Mars 2112 like very early on. Mars 2112. Oh my God. Can you, yeah. yeah. Can you please tell people about Mars 2112? Oh yeah, it, it is. It is the most existential of all the themed eateries in Manhattan. So yeah. it was kind of a spinoff of. Uh, it, it was the it was the fallout to Jekyll and Hyde's Elder Scrolls, if you will. Oh my it was God. a sci-fi eatery. <laughs> Let's yeah. make it a video game somehow. Sci-fi eatery where you were on Mars, and it was just like very. It was like another Applebee's esque restaurant with like. A force theme and and servers that had to like be in character. Yeah, they were they were dressed up in like full like almost Men in Black if Men in Black didn't have a budget prosthetics. You know, yeah. um, <laughs> right, right. It was like really really wild. Uh, you also had to go underground. I remember it was it was underground. There's a huge like kind of uh, like spacey themed uh, sculpture floating above like a, a kind of fountain uh above ground and that was your only indication where mars 2112 was you had to go down uh, and go through like a cryopod to like yeah. get into it. it was bizarre what a weird place man i, I miss that kind of wild yeah shit. there was lore there that was because jekyll and Hyde was just doing this like at a certain point in your meal jekyll would turn into mr Hyde. yeah that was the whole thing <laughs> like on the balcony um anyway so spell break um <laughs> I just got to do it, man. Spell break. <laughs> uh, okay, so he, I was like, how do we even get here? Battle Royales and what they're doing. So Apex Legends, you have Respawn, like, focusing on the gameplay itself. Yeah. We talked about with Fall Guys how that is, like, kind of in the same bracket of a Battle Royale that is almost like the menu has a similar layout to, to Fortnite, mm -hmm. but it's a completely different game. So it's like they're they're taking the like Battle Royale genre, but they're saying you don't have to make it a, a shooting game on an island. It can be anything. Yeah. And, and I've shown how that can work. And with Spellbrick, it's, it really is just like magic Fortnite, yeah. but it is working for me really well. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's completely free. You know, there's, there's in-game purchases and stuff, but it's, it doesn't seem too obnoxious i will say like the uh, the rate of acquiring the in-game currency is like pretty slow but like yeah they aren't really marketing the the aesthetics in a way that like is obnoxious yeah um and you can also choose like what your starting attire is so there's a little bit of a little bit of choice there 
But basically, like, it's there's no building aspect either. So the in terms of like its comparisons to Fortnite, it's a battle royale on an island and replace the shooting mechanic with magic, which sounds kind of arbitrary. And like, it was a silly enough concept. That I'm like, OK, I'll bite. What is this? Right. You know? Yeah. It cost me zero dollars to check this out. So why not? The, the, the best thing and the simplest thing I can say about this game is that the core concept is so well executed. You know, there, there's a lot of improvement that needs to be done around the game. But like that core conceit of like you are a mage you're a vow breaker. That's what they call them. The lore is like you can't use magic and you're using magic. So you're a vow breaker. Yeah. Go to the Battle Royale Island. Um, <laughs> and you just kind of fall in and, and you battle other mages. But it, it's so fun to play because they've really thought about how each element of magic plays and how like it's not just like what color fireball are you throwing? But it's like, what does this magic represent? in terms of style of play. Yeah, so each each character uh, or each player gets to choose a, a starting gauntlet, right? And that gauntlet yeah. corresponds to one of the elements, um, which are like fire, wind, rock, electricity. There's like a poison one. Um, and ice. Yeah. And ice, yeah. And... and you have two moves. One of them is just kind of like a, you know, shoot a thing move very much like, you know, as if you had a gun, essentially, if you have the fire gauntlet, you just shoot a fireball. Um, and then there's like a special ability also that takes a longer time to recharge, you know, it has like a, a cooldown effect. Uh, so for the fire one, for example, uh, you shoot kind of like a, a like a line of fire on the ground for the I think it's the rock one or the wind one. It makes a tornado. Um, the win one, yeah. Yeah. The win one uh, but also, throughout the course of play, you can also pick up a second gauntlet and put that on your other arm, which gives you the two abilities there as well. So, like, if you have the poison one, for example, you, you know, would shoot out, like, a little bit of poison, which would do some, like, kind of ongoing poison damage if you hit somebody with it. Or, alternatively, if you use the big special attack, it shoots, like, a big poison cloud. Where the game gets really interesting to me, mechanically, is that it kind of has a, like, Kirby 64 crystal shard situation where you can blend all of the elements and all the powers together. So if you shoot a poison cloud, for example, and then shoot it with a fireball, it blows up the entire poison cloud because the thing's flammable. If you throw down a tornado and you uh, use a lightning strike on it, it makes it like an electric tornado, which just does more damage. Things like that, which, you know, uh, on one level just seems like a kind of fun interaction, but on another level, you know, when you're playing with a squad full of people, it actually does matter who has what gauntlet at what time. Um, so I can see a skill ceiling to this game being built up. I'm not bumping up against it at all. Like, I'm not experiencing that and I probably won't. But like, I do enjoy games where you can see mechanically where the thought lies and like why the, or how they want people to over time start to think about playing this game. I think that's really yeah. cool. And, and I think in addition to the elements inter being intertwined in that way, like I said earlier, they're each kind of a different mode of play. So like ice is literally a bow and arrow. Yeah. So like ice is kind of like a sniper where you can only really do that from a distance effectively. And the and the secondary attack is an area of effect around yourself, but it hurts you if you're in it. So the idea is like you're using your bow and if you get caught, you throw that down and, and book it. Yeah. Honestly, weirdly, the thing about this game that works the best for me is just like how it feels to move around every no matter what element you've chosen you have like a levitate spell yeah. and like that to me is like the mercury counter of this game like it's, it's <laughs> such a good mechanic that it, it also like kind of 
is the like extra element in a in a fight where like when is someone gonna land or when they're gonna go in the air what element is good against that like the the rock element just breaks the earth in a single line like Mm -hmm. dragon ball z style and like goes you know it will hurt them if if they land there so like weirdly ground is like the anti-air element yeah i i find i've i found the most success with earth and fire fire seems to be like the balanced kind of control element whereas earth is like the kind of up close and personal element it's just really fun like for a free game you know you know what you're getting into but like i think there's something about this game that that if they keep working on it and they keep kind of playing with it it's going to be something really special i think it already is the only thing that's holding me back a little bit is like some of the in-game purchases and the fact that like you don't get stuff very easily without spending money. And the second thing is like as much fun as they've had with like this sort of Breath of the Wild-esque design of the characters and of the magic that has that cel-shaded look to it mm-hmm. more so than like just trying to look like Fortnite. The map itself is kind of bland. That's like my biggest thing about this game that like would get me from really liking it to loving it is like if they had more fun with the map. But that's something that could easily happen in updates. I mean, as we see with Fortnite where they're constantly changing the map. Yeah, so, absolutely. Like, because right now it has a big Elder Scrolls 4 forest vibe where I'm like, there's more you could do. Yeah, you, you, you <laughs> could do a lot more. Yeah. Yeah. You've already introduced uh, poison cloud magic. I think right, you can right. give me a weird volcano to run but around. That's all that's all kind of extraneous stuff that I think like the, the core. And I think what I'm responding really well to is like the reason I think I prefer Apex to Fortnite is the fact that like. I am not enjoying the core game of Fortnite enough to put in the time to understand the metagame. And, like, there is so much unintuitive shit happening with that game. Where, mm-hmm. Like, you really need someone telling you, like, here's how to build. Here's when to gather resources or when it makes sense to. Right. Uh, and, and that's all fine. That's cool to discover that on your own and to have that kind of, like, almost kind of melee-esque, unintentional discovery of game mechanics. Yeah. Like, that's great. But, like, I am just not subjectively interested enough to do that with apex and with spell break the things you can find in chess and and the risk reward are very clear after like a few matches yeah like in in apex i know okay i'm looking for armor and i now know what weapons i like and i'm gonna find those and with spell break it's similar it's okay i know what spells i want you find scrolls that take three seconds to read that kind of increase your stats and I think for me, just being a giant RPG nerd, like I love the flavor of the fantasy. So like that is working for me more than, you know, like gun <laughs> guns are. Um, but I think the game is, is, isn't yeah. as simple as like we've replaced guns with magic. I think that they've really thought about what it me what it feels like to play as a mage. And they've nailed that. Like, yeah. They've really nailed that idea of like, it's not just throwing fireballs. It's, it's, it's really personifying the elements themselves, which is why I think if people have compared this to avatar, um, other than the fact that, that it's elements, I wouldn't really say it shares any of the vibe of Avatar other than that. But like it is the fantasy of like being a bender in that way. Yeah, I could see. I, I do think uh, you kind of bring up an interesting point, just like why you like games like this in Apex Legends versus Fortnite. I think I think in Fortnite, when you start playing it, the possibility space is like really almost too broad, you know, and, and like you're saying, right. it takes it takes a lot of playtime to understand what you're supposed to do and when and how and why, even though every Everybody's starting with the same stuff, you know, going around needing to relearn the map constantly over and over and over again because they updated every week or two weeks or whatever, you know, like trying out every gun and then realizing there's multiple levels of every gun. Um, and then j- just like when to build, why to build, what resources to gather, what 
to build out of what resource like there's so much that you need to be learning constantly in that game like the, the skill ceiling is like really high but it's not even the skill ceiling it's just like learning what you can do mechanically in it right yeah, apex legends right. the possibility space is very simple because you are choosing from one of 10 characters or maybe there's more at this point but you know, you pick from one of the characters and you just look at which character has a kit that you're into, you know? Oh, okay, I'm going to be the healer. Very easy. You know what the possibility space is now. You're going to run around and you're going to heal your friends. Like, that's great. Spellbreak, I think, is kind of similar in a weird way because they get rid of the whole building side of things. And because maybe the map is so bland, it's really just like, okay, I'm going to drop down onto the ground. I'm going to fly when uh, I, I notice somebody shooting at me and I'm going to shoot fire back at them. Great. That's actually, that's perfect. That's all I need to know to play Spellbreak. And honestly, full circle, I can see why this is a game someone's been waiting for for their whole life. <laughs> I don't feel that strongly about it, but it's a lot of fun. It's way more fun than I thought it was going to be because I don't really like, I have not really responded super well to this genre like other than apex and this is really clicking for me in a way that i will definitely like keep playing it and i, and I think it will for a lot of people i've definitely seen a positive response online to it i think people are like rooting the game on the, the team seems pretty dedicated like after playing for a few matches i got this like feedback message like hey what do you like about this and why do you like it yeah or, like, what do you want oh, that's like, nice yeah i've never really seen that in a game especially for a free-to-play game which i think is important because like uh the developers i think proletariat inc is that right? Let me double check. Yeah, Proletariat Inc. I don't know what else they've made, really. So this seems like their big, like, kind of entry point. So I hope it goes well for them because I think that there's something really cool going on here. And I, I could see it being enhanced by, like, a bit more of a refined map and maybe, like, uh, some touches to, you know, the gameplay itself. Maybe more magic eventually down the road. Yeah. I will say, too, what's really nice is that crossplay is not only available, but it's an option. So you can say whether you want it or not, which I think is kind of cool. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of that feature. Fortnite has that also to its credit. Um, oh, cool. I'm, I'm very happy to have that. Um, I got it on Switch originally. It plays great on switch it does not play great on handheld for whatever reason at least in my experience switching to handheld like the the graphic quality went down like real low and like i dear listener you know me i don't ever point out graphics unless it's like noticeable yeah and it is <laughs> uh but what's cool is that you make an account and it's free. You can get on any system. I, I downloaded it on PS4 and I was able to carry over my progress to that. My level four pyromancer is safe and sound. I think I want to stream this game. I really like it. I don't know. It's fun. I've been waiting my whole life for this moment and it's great. <laughs> uh, it's it's a lot of fun. It's cool, man. Uh, maybe I just needed it to be magic, but it's it's working for me. Yeah, that's the thing is like going into it. My thought was maybe replace gun with magic and that is all I need to enjoy a, a, a battle royale for a long time you know like apex legends i think we liked a lot when it came out but you and i eventually ran into that problem that we run into with most battle royale stuff that we've played which is just like it ends up just being us running around and chatting and then we run into somebody and then we die immediately <laughs> you know and yeah Spellbreak for some reason just feels a little bit more like uh like we have a shot you know um, <laughs> well it's a new genre almost you know it's a new like even though it's very clearly wearing its influence on its sleeve, or at least it's apparent, it's you, we haven't seen like a mage free for all, really. Yeah. You know, uh, I, I'm sure it's been tried. I'm sure that there's some kind of magic Fortnite that has come out beforehand. I can even vaguely remember some. Like, there's like Realm Royale or something. Uh, but this is the first time where they've like really again kind of made it feel like you're playing as a mage in like a, a skyrim or something yeah. you know yeah like i think i think that uh i'm also weirdly kind of good at this game <laughs> so 
Nice. I, I'm into it. I'm okay, into we got to play together. We haven't played together at all. Um, I would like to do that. I I downloaded it first on PS4 and then you know watched my partner's <laughs> little brother. I liked it first. No, I I, down, uh, I watched my partner's little brother play it a whole bunch, um, and it just looked really great. And then I downloaded it on Switch because that's where you said you were downloading it. And then I played uh, a little bit of it on Switch and decided I was going to go back to PS4. So if you if you end up diving into the PS4 version, I would love to play it. Yeah, I probably will. I, it feels better on PS4, honestly. It honestly looks really good on PS4. I, as much as yeah. I agree with you about the map, I actually think the map looks really pretty for what it is. Uh, I agree it needs more uh, interesting stuff location wise but i i do like the kind of like rolling hills it almost reminds me of like brave like that pixar movie um it is very pretty yeah it is and i think it might have just been the switch <laughs> um but yeah i just i i'm it's more i'm more interested in in more interesting ideas than necessarily like the aesthetic of it yeah, yeah. but that's where i think i can be a little picky so that you know take that for what it's worth yeah man i like spell break a lot thank you thank you good night <laughs> <laughs> uh it's available on a bunch of things it seems actually i just think it's available everywhere i don't know if it's available on xbox i imagine it is because it's on switch and ps4 here's my wish brendan mm-hmm. i know uh, i know you both of us have pulled the other into games we don't like i can feel in the clouds that you're not as into spell break as i am I, and no, I, very I seriously i just haven't had enough time to play it yet i re- oh, okay i i want to i just have only played the tutorial myself that's like literally well, as much as i played i will say it's a game i definitely want to stream and maybe we can play together but i i am having a great time with it yeah, so that's Spellbreak. I will definitely stream it soon. I would love to be joined by Brendan and AJ, maybe some other friends too. I think it's a good streaming game because, like you said, we play uh, these games like a jogging simulator until there's action. <laughs> but here we have a chance, so it's not just sudden death. It'll be a little bit more exciting. Yeah, I mean, worst case scenario also... We're good at it because it's right when the game came out, you know, and everybody's on the same level. And maybe in six months, everybody's gonna be way better than us. We'll be like, well, time to move on to the next thing. But I'm a tornado main. Uh, You don't stand a chance. (laughs) I do. I do. That's always my favorite bit of new multiplayer games, honestly, is like right at the beginning when nobody is like quite sure what to do, you know? Yeah. I think I might, because Fire, I just chose Fire because it seemed like the easiest to grasp. It's what they give you in the tutorial. I think that Fire was my favorite early on, but now I'm gravitating towards Earth. Uh, Wind Mm. is also, because Wind is like rapid fire, kind of almost machine gun, and then you have the tornado. Yeah. The only one I don't really like is Poison, because it's sort of like, you just kind of throw like, but it seems the most like, in need of another element. Like you said before, like you had that It's it's all about the synergy there, yeah. Yeah. Other elements kind of stand better on their own. So, you know, I haven't really messed with lightning. At first, I was I thought lightning was cool with fire because, you know, it could be Azula, right? <laughs> Wielding yeah. Fire and lightning. Right, but, right, right. Uh, yeah, it's it's fun. I hope it grows a bigger following. It seems pretty popular, though. So I haven't seen any negativity about this game. Like everything I've seen written up about it has been positive. It, yeah, I, it just makes me think like uh, I don't think a lot of people are checking it out, but everybody who does likes it. So I imagine it'll have some kind of like slow burn word of mouth growth if I had to. Guess. I think. Yeah, I think it's an easy thing to write off because it is so like Fortnite adjacent. But yeah, it, it's got a soul of its own, especially in this like it doesn't like if you remove all of the presentation and you just play the game, it doesn't feel like you're playing Fortnite other than when you're like diving into the island. Yeah. But, you right. know, it's more like, where do you want to teleport? You know, instead of where Which do you is want great. to land? The fact that you can teleport around the map is cool. We didn't even mention that. Yeah. It's yeah. Awesome. There's also some things like there are a few points on the map where there's like a weird 
sphere of magic and if you go into the middle of that sphere uh, and you and you like click square it's over like the course of five seconds it slowly forms a treasure chest and in that chest is like really good gear like a legendary gauntlet but the risk of reward of you of you sitting in that sphere for a long time means that you're just an open target that's awesome that's really cool it's cool but i've also managed to like get a bunch because like i don't think people know what it is yet so (laughs) just like so i just got a scroll of mind and body and a legendary tornado gauntlet now i know why i like this because it has words like that on it yeah but i uh (laughs) yeah it's it's fun man i do but i do like that kind of just little like okay like there's one like and this is actually a cool part of the setting there's like an arena like a like a almost a coliseum kind of thing where there are like four towers and a big open pit and there's like one of those spheres in the middle so it's like this is this is a nightmare yeah that's really (laughs) cool yeah but it's fun it's it's really fun i'd recommend it's free check it out you know if you don't like it it's fine you can delete it and have lost zero dollars unless you download it on switch because i learned recently that you can't delete games that you got for free on switch oh really isn't that weird huh i think you can archive them but you can't remove them completely oh well yeah that's fine it's very bizarre I just, yeah. well, I mean, I downloaded like 15 free to play games for that one episode we did, and they're <laughs> all still on my Switch. <laughs> you shall never forget Warface. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, the curse yeah. of Warface. The Curse of Warface. Yeah, Spellbreak, uh, it's got my recommendation. I think it's a lot of fun. Check it out. Yeah, I'm excited to play more of it. Uh, and hopefully we can stream it soon. Let's move on. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, Spellbreak, play it. I'm a tornado main, but a dabble in poison. Dabble in poison. <laughs> just kind of rolling your eyes, snapping along. Okay, let's take a break. Steven, we've returned. Hi. From spell break. If you mix wind with poison, it's stinky. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, what were you going to say? Um, last week we talked a bit about... Oh, sorry, this is the first time I made myself laugh that loud. Okay, continue. <laughs> last, week, last week we talked a bit about some uh, fun Nintendo announcements. Um, yeah. The, the main one being um, Super Mario 3D All-Stars, a new compilation game that's coming out um, for us in... Next week? Uh, five days on Friday. It's it appeared on my Switch dashboard, which almost gave me a heart attack. Me too. But yeah, download it. Yeah, if you, if yeah. you pre-ordered it, it's already preloaded, which is nice. Um, if you're listening to this episode the day it comes out, uh, 3D All-Stars comes out in two days, which is very exciting. And that's Mario 64, Mario Sunshine, Sunshine. and Mario Galaxy, which is great. Very excited to play those. It's going to be awesome. Um, castle. Clean up the castle. Go to space. <laughs> fuck the castle. Go to space. <laughs> That was the original title. They're like, this is not kid friendly. <laughs> so 3D All-Stars, uh, the name and the idea, I guess, is kind of harkening back to another game that came out on the Super Nintendo a long time ago, um, which also got released on Switch. If you have Nintendo Online and you have the Super Nintendo Online uh, thing downloaded onto your Switch, uh, which is, you know, the compilation of a bunch of uh, Super Nintendo games, you also got the original Super Mario All-Stars, which is a kind of like Nintendo's first remaster in a weird way. Yeah. Um, it's a remaster of the original Mario Brothers, uh, Mario 2, uh, which is the Doki Doki Panic reskin that we got in the United States, uh, Super Mario Brothers 3, and also 
This was the first time it had ever been released in the United States. Super Mario Brothers 2, the original Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, which when it got released here was called The Lost Levels, which very famously was uh, declared to be too difficult for the American audience, which is a thing that I've heard a lot. I did I did a lot of research on this um, between last week's episode and this week's episode because I've been playing it. Um, I have, in fact, now beaten The Lost Levels again, which is great. Uh, thank Congrats. you so much. It was very difficult, and I yeah. really, like, crunched it to make it happen um because the first time I, I think i've talked about this on the show the first time i ever played lost levels like i just learned that it existed and i got an emulator on my like high school laptop and i spent an entire summer trying to beat lost levels and it really took me that long it was so difficult it was really hard and and this time um was only slightly easier i guess i just needed to do it very i didn't need to do it for the episode but i kind of wanted to um but anyway yeah. I learned this recently just in doing some research. So everybody like the story has always uh, been that this game was, quote unquote, deemed too difficult to release in the United States. That's why it never came out here. What's really interesting is that that doesn't seem to be the actual quote from what happened. What actually happened was they made Mario 2 and then gave it to the reps in Nintendo of America to play to check out. And the reps in Nintendo of America were just like, this is not fun, actually. It's not that it's too hard. <laughs> it's just that it's so hard that it's not fun. And and yeah. the quote from the president of Nintendo of America at the time, whose name I'm not remembering because I don't have like a Wikipedia open or anything, but uh, and, I, and I might be paraphrasing it, but um, it's if a game is not fun, it's a problem for a company who sells fun, which is like a great way of putting it, I think. Um, because honestly, what I will say now, having played through all of the lost levels again, I don't think it is fun. It's really difficult. <laughs> it's fun in the way a Dark Souls is fun when you beat a boss, but that's every level. You know, every level of lost levels pretty much is that. You are playing every single one, trying to complete it by the skin of your teeth. I can't even imagine playing this on the original NES, like the original hardware, where you can't save or anything. There's yeah. there's no continue. Every time you die, you have to start from the beginning again. Amazing if anybody beat well, that. For context, so I had this game, like, growing up, my sister and I shared. The NES is hers because she's five years older so she had that and i kind of came into that when i was born in 1990 yeah uh and then we had the super nintendo together and we had this game mario all-stars and i didn't know the context of lost levels so like i had repressed this memory <laughs> i just i'd heard you talk about lost levels a lot and i remember i had all-stars and it was a lot of fun i played i think mario 3 was my favorite yeah because at that time, my my entry into Mario was like the first one in Mario World. Mm -hmm. And three is like a nice middle ground. Yeah. But I remember I, I opened up Lost Levels in Solidarity because I knew you were going to bring it up this episode. I was like, let me just play a little bit of it. And the first thing that happens is, is you get a poison mushroom. Like you, it has a similar beat yeah. as the original Mario Brothers where you're like, you know, running in, the music's playing, and then you hit a question mark block and it's poison. And like that kind of sums up the game where it's just like, <laughs> you said this before, it's just constantly being like, fuck you. It's just constantly yeah. like throwing you left turn. Um, I remember playing it for like maybe 30 seconds as a kid and being like, I don't like this one as much. And then moving on to the next which one. Is the, which is the correct uh, response. And honestly, <laughs> thinking about that, that president of Nintendo of America at the time who said like, this isn't fun and we shouldn't release it. I think they might have been right, honestly. I mean, keep in mind, too, that that was like before Mario was really as established as he is now. Yeah. Or as a series, like and 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 NES in particular, kind of, and this is before my time, so I only know like the vague details. But I feel like Nintendo kind of saved the home console market. Like they before did, yes. Nintendo, a lot of like Atari consoles and and like Neo Geo and stuff were like kind of just like 
home arcade systems, but they weren't really enough. They weren't doing anything unique to it enough to like save the industry. And Nintendo really did. So I could see them being yeah. like, we can't risk this. The, the, like, weird, already, yeah. the weird irony of that period of time. Um, I just watched like that. Netflix just made a documentary series about like this era of video games specifically, which is like, it's fine. It's an okay documentary series. I, I don't know if I'd fully recommend it. Maybe just read the Wikipedia pages because it kind of glosses over some stuff that's a little problematic. But anyway, uh, the interesting thing about that era of video games is like th- that is when the crash happened and the crash happened because of games like the Indiana Jones game and the E.T. game for Atari specifically yeah. not selling at all, essentially like, you know, Atari was just like pumping out all these games that were based on like huge movie franchises and huge IP and things like that. And they weren't selling at all. And and the like prevailing thought was man, if the Indiana Jones game isn't selling, then like what video game is going to sell? Maybe the fad is over, you know? And like, of course, the answer is like, okay, well, maybe don't make a video game based around E.T. Maybe just make a video game that's fun because it's fun, you know? Like create create (laughs) something fun yeah you know don't don't try and force something into something else and uh and and then that's when the nes came out you know and, and completely revitalized the industry and we've been writing that ever since but anyway yeah i the thing about the original mario brothers that you and i have talked about and i think we might have even mentioned in the last episode or i might have brought up is like that first mario brothers game is like a game design school you know on a cartridge like every you don't realize that you're learning how to play video games when you play the original Super Mario Brothers. You know, that's how that's how brilliantly designed those like opening levels are. That opening moment of World 1-1 is like one of the most incredible pieces of like level design that has ever happened. Super Mario Brothers 2, the lost levels, is like the complete antithesis of everything we know about Nintendo. And it's really wild to play it now knowing that philosophy that they've kind of carried forward you know like every game is taking from that core philosophy that like incredible intuitive kind of passive level design uh, of the original mario brothers you can see that in every other game that's one of the things that i talk about whenever i talk about mario specifically um because it's like every mario game is just you know hit after hit after hit of like a new mechanic they introduce and then kind of like build upon build upon build upon and then you leave it behind when you move on to the next level and they introduce yeah. another mechanic that's just as fun i mean odyssey does that kind of like in every dimension possible with like yes. you capturing enemies with your hat and then they have their own internal mechanics that you immediately pick up based on the environment and everything yeah. you know and it can be as abstract as like you're in a planet made or you're in a world made out of food and you throw your hat on a fireball and you're like swimming in the lava Oh, I know how to do this. It's yeah. like, how? This is this is a brand new concept to you as a person. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's incredible. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Like their their mastery of not only just like game design, but also of of how people will intuitively interact with those worlds is like unbelievable. And Lost Levels is like the exact opposite of all of that. Lost Levels is them literally just saying like, okay, people understand how to play Super Mario Brothers now because it was you know it sold like four million copies and it sold like 4 million NES systems. So everybody has one. Everybody understands those mechanics. So what if we just made it more difficult? And like, that's literally the the A to B to Z of why that game was made was just like, oh, let's just make it harder. Let's just make it more challenging. Wouldn't that be interesting? And then they did it and it and it 
is brutal. It is like it is interesting in that it is, you know, introducing mechanics that like are kind of around in the original Mario Brothers in ways that you kind of wouldn't really expect. Um, so, for example, there's a lot of those levels where uh, you're running through an area and there are three paths that you can take and only one of them is correct. And if you run through the path and, and you run through the wrong one, it like resets you back to the beginning of the level. But the time is still ticking down. So if you're running through the wrong part over and over and over again, you will will eventually lose because you'll run out of time. That stuff is interesting, you know, and, and it pops up, I think, once or maybe twice in the original Mario Brothers and is all over Lost Levels. Like, there are a bunch of levels that are that. Um, hidden Blocks for example, are things that were in the original Mario Brothers that were interesting, that were generally like they would hide stars, like you really had to know where they were, like jump at a lucky point to find a hidden block. And like, it's really exciting when you find a hidden block in the original Mario Brothers. In Lost Levels, you literally need to find them to progress in a lot of instances. There are a lot of, there are (laughs) a lot of instances where a hidden block is the only reason you will make it across a jump for example you know it's a jump that looks like you should be able to make it and you'll try and make it over and over and over and over again and get like 18 game overs trying to get over that jump until you realize maybe i should be looking for a hidden block here and then you find one and then you're able to jump it but then they also introduce new mechanics like you just brought up the poison mushroom there are other ones like wind they started introducing wind at a certain point which just means that you start flying across the map every time you jump which and means- if you mix wind with poison you know what happens <laughs> it's Sorry. stinky, stinky. uh <laughs> That's the this closest we get stinky. to our, our like <laughs> Z Morning Zoo talk show version of this podcast. <laughs> Brendan's really the John Bell of idea. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so, yeah, I don't know. They, they introduce wind into the game. Um, they introduce, like, spring jumps that launch you off the map so you actually don't know when you're going to fall back to Earth. So you just have to kind of intuit how long it's going to take you to fall back to Earth, which is, like, extremely difficult and doesn't make any sense. Um, <laughs> Hammer Brothers everywhere, you know? Yeah, just nonstop Hammer Brothers because that's the hardest enemy to get by in, in the original Mario Brothers. So, of course, they need to have, like, a billion of them. Water levels are all even worse somehow than they were in the original it's like it's just an exercise in masochism and it doesn't have I, I mentioned earlier like it does have that kind of like oh i finally beat it exhilaration as if you were beating a dark souls boss but at least dark souls understands that you need to have like moments story. of yeah moments of yeah. levity and kind of like a, a an, un, an unfolding narrative to kind of like lull the player into being okay with the moments that are really difficult you know you need to feel kind of accustomed to the world to be able to bash your head against the thing because you want to see what happens after that and mario is not that because you know that the princess is in another castle until you beat the eighth world you know the frustrating part is when you beat the eighth world they then add five more worlds to the end it goes one two three four five six seven eight and then you get you know you free the princess and she's like cool check this out and then a one suddenly oh my god and then you gotta do a b c d e uh it's It's horrible. It's horrible. But also, I feel a great sense of pride in having done it. You know, yeah, I don't absolutely. think it's really good game design. The levels are interesting. You know, they're definitely interesting. They're definitely levels you can make and and they are playable. It's a lot of like it's a lot of jumping uh, off screen 
and just hoping to God that that you're going to land on something. You know, it's a lot of like blocks being placed exactly as far as Mario can jump when you're sprinting and you jump at the last pixel at the edge. Like that is what the game is comprised of. And the game like wants you to feel good about completing that. It's wild to me. And I'm coming off very negative, but I love Lost Levels. I, I wouldn't have played it again and I wouldn't have been as excited as I was last episode about it coming out to Switch if I didn't love it. But it is the exact opposite of what makes Nintendo great. I wonder if there was like a really... I wonder like what kind of... I have two thoughts on this and I appreciate you sharing this whole experience. Um, with the NES games in particular, I feel like every big first-party Nintendo NES game has a really out-there sequel. And it's something there's this kind of like prevalent idea that like just do the opposite, you know? <laughs> like yeah. Zelda 2, Zelda for example. Two, right? Yeah. Yeah, Zelda 1 was was very similar. Oh, I, it is kind of its own thing, but like the DNA is there, this kind of overworld where you're exploring and going through dungeons yeah. and all that. And Zelda 2 was a side-scroller and, and had like kind of weirdly RPG mechanics, similar with Castlevania. Castlevania 1 was a side-scroller, but it was mostly like an action platformer, you know, so like if Mario had a whip kind of thing. Uh, yeah. And then Castlevania 2 was this like attempt at a Metroidvania before that existed, before you had <laughs> Symphony of the Night or Super metroid and with with mario 2 it sounds like they kind of had a similar idea of like let's just try we figured out what worked let's just do something completely different which is kind of also nintendo weirdly even though it didn't click in that second attempt their idea of like being experimental in that way i think has carried them forward in their best moments my other thought on this was i I was thinking when you're describing this i'm like this sounds like is kaizo the subgenre of mario rom hacks that are like extremely hard yeah I, i think that's the name of it yeah it sounds like this is like the original version of that but i I, I took that back when you were describing because I feel like a lot of the like supremely like the whole like subgenre of like intensely hard uh, Mario games on like Mario Maker and on ROM hacks and stuff usually do have some time some kind of design even though if mm-hmm. it's like really esoteric it's like okay I gotta hit this turtle and keep bouncing on it through the whole world yeah. whereas this sounds like it's not stuff you would intuitively discover at all yeah for example I, I think one of the best examples of of where this game like expects too much of the player i i think you bring up a great point with, with the mario maker stuff because like you can in most instances figure out how to progress at least in the mario maker levels that people are making like the really difficult ones even if it's like okay you have to launch a shell into the air somehow and like jump off of a bullet bill onto that shell that's being launched and then onto something else and it's like okay i at least know how to get by here but i can't do it ever <laughs> um <laughs> mario yeah uh, mario lost levels uh world eight four it's eight four it's it's the last level in the in the main story bit it opens up with mario at the top of a staircase and then uh you can go down the staircase it's like four steps and then there's a huge gap that's lava and you can see the the platform you have to land on on the other end of the lava you cannot make the jump from one end to the other it's impossible below you is like a gap with like a little hallway underneath the stairway what you have to do to progress in world eight four of the lost levels for those of you who are out there, this is this is like your your game facts, tips and tricks from your, your pal Brendan. <laughs> what you have to do is you have to go all the way to the last step, go to the last pixel on the last step, and then jump into the air. And when you jump into the air, you will unhook from that last pixel and then fall past the stair and land on the last pixel of the hallway below you. And then you have to run back to the end of the hallway and then run forward and then you can make the jump. 
across. Um, it's only because you can't build up enough momentum on the last step that you can't jump across the gap. You need to have a couple blocks of momentum to be able to jump across. But the way to do it is to jump from that last pixel to the last pixel again. And that is the actual way you're supposed to do that level. There's not like another way to do it. That's like just what they want you to do. And there's no indication of how to do that. There's like literally no way that you would know as a player to do that. It's wild. It's absolutely wild. I died on that like 30 or 40 times before I before I finally figured it out which I think again goes to show like if you had this game on the NES I don't know how you would have ever beaten it the only reason that I am able to beat this game is because I'm playing it on a Super Nintendo technically which allows me to save and continue which means if I get a game over I get to start at the beginning of the most recent level that I started which is great they also add checkpoints halfway through every level which is a a, a mercy to to the player (laughs) necessary but that's a great point of like other than just your own stubbornness like what does it take for a game to make this kind of challenge worth it yeah and i think he brought a good point with like is there kind of an unfurling narrative that like is enhanced by this challenge um i also think of celeste obviously as a clear yeah, parallel totally. but like celeste is another example of like probably the best game design i've seen you know in terms of like they know exactly what the possibilities are and there's usually like there are two steps to every celeste level there's figuring out what the path is like how do i even beat this yeah and then there's how do i do this yeah <laughs> um and it might take a while to figure it out but when you do you had that eureka moment it's not like oh fuck you it's not like you know yeah you'll have those moments of frustration but like the discovery is always cathartic and it's it doesn't feel cheap like it might if you're like how would i have known that you know yeah. other than just jumping everywhere and eventually finding it right yeah don't know if i'll play less levels but i'm very happy that you beat it i'm very proud of you yeah i That's will say ultimate nintendo cred yeah honestly. i feel i feel very good having beaten it again what i will say for those of you who want to try it out at least the ultimate mercy that you're given uh so like i said you can save and continue so you can start over you know with every level that you beat there are checkpoints halfway which is great but the the ultimate thing that you can do um and i i refrain from using this as much as possible i think i had to use it once on one of the levels oh it, w- it actually was eight four because nonsense reasons but anyway um <laughs> i forgot that this was a thing that you can do with every super nintendo game on the switch but you can uh if you press both the shoulder buttons it freezes the game and gives you like an overlay and allows yeah. you to create like suspend points so you can kind of do like soft and and uh soft saves and restarts so if at any point you're like okay thank god i made it past this one obstacle that i was like banging my head against for a long time let me set up a save point or like a suspension point and then if i die again i can just reload the suspension point it's very easy you just press the shoulder buttons and you can load it it's so good that is maybe the way to play lost levels like if you want to check it out and like see how far you can get just from like a skill perspective like that's probably a good way of doing it yeah I love you can have up to three as well. So if you have that experience with any other of the games there, you can have them all kind of cataloged there. Yeah. I kind of want to play Star Fox 2, which is like the awkward sequel yeah. to the first one. I've been wanting to do that for a while, but uh, I've only played Star Fox 64. I think I rented Star Fox 1 and I was like, this isn't as good, but I was like eight. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, uh, I, w- I would want to check out the second one. It looks I love the I love the design of the Super Nintendo ones. It's very like they're really cool. I just think like purple and orange with that game. You know, mm-hmm. it's like very specifically saturated. Yeah. Very cool. Congrats once again, Brendan. Thank you. I think I'm going to play more of uh, the original Super Mario All-Stars. I think I might go and do Super Mario 3. I might oh, even go back and so do good. the other Mario 2 because I haven't played that since. I don't know. I was probably like 10 or 11. That one's a blast. It's really fun. It's really 
weird. But what's cool is you can play uh, as Mario, Luigi, Peach, or Toad. Yeah. And they all have like different abilities. So Luigi can jump really high and he kind of, he does it in Smash, I think. He kind of wiggles his legs because yeah. he goes higher. It is worth noting Lost Levels is the first Mario game that had that for Luigi. Um, oh, really? Because he's playable in the original Super Mario Brothers, but he just controls he's exactly just a green. Like, yeah. 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 Um, but in Lost Levels, that's when they, he has, I think, less resistance when he's running and also jumps a little higher. That's amazing. Yeah. And Peach can kind of float, which she also does in Smash. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Mario 3, I think, is my favorite of the bunch there. That just seems like, it, even though Do- even though Mario 2 that was released in the US was a Doki Doki reskin with Mario characters, I feel like that game's DNA definitely led into Mario 3. Mm. Because you have kind of that like that kind of like irreverent charm in the world and in the items you get and stuff. Yeah, that it's like it, it it's starting to feel more like a world than just a series of levels. You have the map. You can kind of progress in different directions. You can get different items, and then they kind of really fall into that with Super Mario World. Yeah, you know, with with Yoshi and, and with the different like lands and stuff. But Mario Three is is uh, not a hot take. It's one of the most beloved ones. But yeah, of the of the bunch, it's my. Favorite. I do feel like mario 3 gets overlooked a little bit it's good i'm i think i am gonna go play that again yeah it's a little bit of the precursor it's very similar to mario world so i can see why but yeah. it's it's a lot of fun it's got its own charm and it has that like you can see like it, it maps out how much momentum you're building up oh yeah it has that little meter it's great yeah it talk about we, we've been kind of on the hunt for games with secrets lately as the veil thins mm-hmm. uh, as autumn approaches so many secrets that are not for progression but just for fun you know like you'll find items like you know the feather that gives you the tanuki suit and you can fly around that was the first thing the warp whistle i still prefer that to uh the cape in mario world yeah me too but you know yoshi was added to mario world which is the big the big thing there yeah and then there was that whole like kind of star dimension yoshi land where you could get the different colored yoshis yeah it's awesome real cool yeah very cool anyway Mario's fun. Mario's a good franchise. Look, I I, I spend a lot of time dunking on Mario, but uh, boy, will I play one, you know? Absolutely. <laughs> Am I right or what? Thanks, Camelot, for introducing Waluigi. I, I, I know we said this before, but I just love how Nintendo didn't even make Waluigi directly. It was Camelot. <laughs> do, you think that's, do you think that's why they refuse to put Waluigi in things? I think so. I think it's weird, though, that, that Wario got, like, not only a Game Boy trilogy and then the WarioWare games, but also got a GameCube game, yeah. you know? Like, if there was a time for Waluigi to get a game, it was on the GameCube. I feel like that was, like, his big break and it didn't happen, Yeah, you know? Because <laughs> the GameCube was, like, the experimental era. It was, like, their, like, Kid A phase of, like, we'll just make weird games about vacuums and shit. <laughs> and they didn't give Waluigi a game. <laughs> Then they had the year of Luigi. I, I, you know what? It literally, jokes aside, it might be because the year of Luigi lost them five hundred million dollars. They're like, if we lost that much money on Luigi, how much money would we lose on a year of Waluigi? Steven, do you know how much money they would lose? A million dollars. None. If they lost five hundred million dollars on the year of Luigi, they would make five hundred million dollars with the year You're of Waluigi. You're absolutely right. Or they would at least make zero because he's the he's the opposite. Yeah. So they would. That's a great point. You're absolutely right yeah what are they thinking i don't know make one year of waluigi that would be the biggest thing nintendo's ever done yeah i wonder i wonder if he'll show up in smash i'm still hanging on to that at the very least Ugh, i heard the next uh character is going to be the ninja gaiden guy and i'm just like i don't want eh. that was a rumor a while ago that was like the original leak it was him minecraft steve and uh doom guy yeah look i i'm sure he'll be great but i just want something a little more exciting you know 
I give me something I'm a little not, more left field than like the Ninja Gaiden guy. Yeah, give me someone from Stardew Valley. You know, <laughs> give me Shane. <laughs> give me Shane. <laughs> Shane. Give me a soot sprite from Spirited Away or something. You know. <laughs> <laughs> give me the un, the the radish spirit. Yeah, that just stands in the elevator. <laughs> Yeah, that would be like, of course, those would be our requests. Shane and the rest. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, let's move on. Yeah, that sounds good. Let's move on. OK. Try to walk me through. Think again. Steven's been playing Persona 5 Royal. Is it the royal or is it royal? Oh, I wish it was the royal. It's just royal. Uh, it should be the royal. I, I guess P5TR doesn't sound as good. Yeah. I have been playing... This is the opposite experience I've had. Uh, long-time listeners will know that Brent and I are both big Persona fans. Even before you got into RPGs, Persona was like one of the series that you were at least like trying to get into. Yeah, I loved everything about it. Just like could never bring myself to really play more than like 10 to 15 hours of one. But like even playing 10 to 15 hours of one was more than I had played most JRPGs or <laughs> RPGs in general. So I was like, yeah, this That's also rips. like most games entire length of Persona that's like going to school one day. That's like, oh, it, finally, let's start the tutorial. It's, it's an incredible series we've talked about it a lot in our bonus episode i think for april we did a half persona 5r half uh animal crossing yeah um uh, for those unfamiliar persona 5r is simultaneously like a re-release of persona 5 which only came out in 2017 it's not that old yeah but they they've they've done this a lot with their game so they'll release a game and they'll release like kind of a souped up version of the game with like new additions and all that um we talked about persona 5r largely in the beats of the game that are persona 5 which is most of it most of the game is exactly the same as Persona 5, but with like a lot of quality of life improvements, some new additions, and they're sprinkled throughout in a way that at least for me, doesn't make it feel like you're going through the same thing over and over again. Yeah, even uh, been... my experience playing Persona 5 and Persona 5R, um, I didn't beat Persona 5, but like I played a whole bunch of it. Playing Persona 5R was like, oh yeah, this is actually kind of like a markedly different thing in, in yeah. some instances, uh, even in the small bits that I played. Planets align for me in a way, though, that like I'm a huge fan of this game. I've attempted to play it again, but I ended up buying 3 and 4 and playing those instead. Yeah. Because I'm a monster. Uh, still have yet to beat 3, but we talked about three actually recently. Maybe I'll revisit that one day. <laughs> All that to say, it was perfect for me because I hadn't played five in like two years. One and two and was like, I'll easily do that again with like new shit. And then yeah. at the very end, there's a whole new chunk of story that is completely unique to Persona 5R. I've had the opposite experience as I've had with the original game. When the original game came out, I I've cited often that Persona 5, uh, the original game, got me back into video games in a big way. Up until then, I, I had just kind of been sticking to what I knew. Um, when I even got my PS4, I really just played Overwatch. Like I didn't really seek out a ton of new stuff. Right. It was Bloodborne and Persona 5 that like pulled me back into the world. And I was like, oh shit, there's so much cool new stuff that I need to check out. So this game is, it means a lot for me in that way. Uh, and I think was like setting me up to be the Steven I am now on this show. Cause that was well before we had even caught up. And I was just like talking to people about this game who didn't want to hear me. Um, <laughs> so, but that game, Persona 5, I beat in like two weeks. I was like, 
in. I, I, I could not put it down. And it was this like feverish binge session. And I, and I finished it very quickly. It's I a long game. It, it takes good. like, <laughs> thank you. It was a good look. It takes like, short session would be 80 hours it usually takes 100 yeah. it's a long game and persona 5 r alternatively i've been kind of like really actually taking my time with which is the way to do it it's a game that's divided into almost like seasons of a show so if you binge it you're not going to enjoy it as much but the thing that makes it so addictive is it has that kind of like life sin element that stardew valley has that even animal crossing has where half the game is just kind of hanging out and like right that sort of like oh i got I got to spend time with this person and then I have to do this thing like that kind of maintenance element that's also in games like Spirit Fair hooks me in really strongly for some reason Mm -hmm. like time goes by quickest in those games same with Three Houses where like you have like a checklist of things to do it's a really nice loop when it's done well it's very much the like Sid Meier's Civilization one more turn thing yeah everybody talks about the first time they download a Civilization game and all they do is like stay up for you know three straight days because they just keep saying one more turn over and over again that yeah. is very much what persona is going for with that life sim stuff exactly and, and a lot of it kind of boils down to preparation and execution so like you know you're seeing the fruition of your actions in the other worlds that you take in real life yeah we talked about it a lot so i won't get too into it but i have finally in my in my slow burn playthrough of persona 5 the royal in 2020 uh i've reached the new section of the story the new semester and i'm so excited to talk about it uh huge flashing lights I emailed you as well, and you got a weird text on your phone. Spoiler alert. Uh, both for the original game and for Persona 5 Royal. Uh, I've okayed with Brendan to spoil it for him, so don't <laughs> worry about him. And honestly, I will say too, this is a game that like you can know the beats and still enjoy it because the heart of the series is the small moments between characters. Like The A-plot and all that is kind of just the empty jar for like the characters mm. and your experience with them. Yeah. So like, you know, if I just told you the A play, like, that sounds kind of weird. You know, it's, it's more about living through it than, than knowing exactly what happens. Right. But still, like, if you want to go on blind, uh, especially if you haven't reached the new semester, uh, maybe skip the rest of this episode. Um, can I just but, say before we get into please spoiler spoilers, um, yeah. if you haven't played persona five at all and you don't have it, get the, get Royal, it's like yeah, absolutely agree. the one that you should get. I there is a version of the original Persona Five that I think is twenty dollars now. It's like part of the PlayStation Hits collection, so like I see why that's enticing. Um, but if you if you play it and you like it, then you'll want the stuff that's in Royal. And the only way to get that is with Royal. Which like honestly, if if I was to like say the one negative thing about it is like it should have been DLC. They shouldn't have made you pay another sixty dollars for this thing. I think um, you know people who people who bought it and played it in twenty seventeen. Like adding uh, uh, some stuff. I mean, there is a lot of stuff, but like adding that stuff to the main storyline and then adding another semester. Like I would have gladly paid like a forty dollar DLC pack, you know, to add on to Persona Five. Um, I agree. Yeah, I, I honestly think what they should have done is kind of what Three Houses did, where the side story was like a loadable thing. Yes, because uh, exactly. like I, I will say, and this is like maybe a soft spoiler, but I will say that the the stuff that's added is kind of unique to itself. That like mm. it's not like you know the the game like you play through the whole 
original Persona 5 and then it kind of switches into the new stuff. Yeah. So like it could have existed as like it's asking a lot to be like not only do you have to pay sixty dollars, but you have to play through the same game again. There's also the, the possibility to completely miss the new stuff if you don't if uh, you don't max out, yeah. yeah if you don't, if you you don't to, build up your relationships <laughs> with specific characters, you could actually miss it entirely, which is like also wildly frustrating because that means you could get to the end of the eighty to one hundred hour playthrough and then not be able to access the new stuff you paid another sixty dollars for. The reason why I think it was okay with Persona Four golden was like it was being released on an entirely new platform you know like persona persona 4 came out on ps2 persona 4 golden came out on vita it was like handheld they were adding a bunch of new shit to it a bunch of like really great quality of life stuff on top of new story stuff like that made sense to buy like completely again you know um because it really is like an almost completely new experience on a completely new platform this is the same game on the same platform but they like added some stuff into the middle and then at the end that you can miss which is like just a bummer but anyway yeah beyond all of that the, the point being that if you want to play persona 5 at all or if it ever sounds interesting to you based on all of the episodes that we've talked about it which is a lot at this point and that's because it's like a great game get get royal because like the yeah. the the chance that you play the 20 dollars version that exists and then like are bummed out uh is very high i think because you will want the new stuff yeah i'm coming from a place where i'm a goblin and i'm also uh i got it as a gift in the steel book so it's just right, like right, a right. treasure for me yeah. so you know but i i totally agree it should have been dlc or like some kind of an expansion you know with like a souped up game and then the side story or whatever you yeah, know yeah yeah uh, the, the chance of missing it is like it's also such a quintessential persona move to do that you know like <laughs> yeah, there's a whole, like the final boss of persona 4 you can miss by selecting the wrong dialogue option like that's just their kind of vibe yeah you know and it's like so innocuous it's like ready to start the day it's like that's the question you're given <laughs> so like discover the god of truth it's like come on but yeah so i guess we'll get into uh the the new semester uh so right let's see if anything else to add before we get into spoiler zone no 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 please please tell me all about it i'm actually very excited cool uh yeah, so I mean, I, I I have been really excited to get into this part of the game. You know, I've, I've really enjoyed going through it. And there have been enough changes and it's been enough time that the whole experience has felt really fresh to me. I actually streamed recently. I, I've been playing the game on hard for almost all of it. And then I got to what is the final boss of Persona 5 yeah. original, which I was streaming. And I had to put it on normal. I'm like, this is... <laughs> I lost like for three hours straight. It was a really fun stream. Thank you for those who joined me. But basically the plot is like the same beats with some new additions up until that fight. And then afterwards it kind of plays out the same way and then it changes. But before I get into that exactly, I want to kind of specify what's new, if you don't mind. And that kind of leads into the, the third semester. So the three confidants you have to max out and that are new to the game are Kasumi, uh, the the new student who with red hair who's a gymnast and is like introduced really early on. Uh, there's Maruki, the therapist who we both talked about a lot, mm -hmm. the guidance counselor in the school. Yeah. Akechi, who is a character in the first game, but his confidant tree is is handled extremely differently, which I'm very excited to explore. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> I'm giddy, Brendan. So Kasumi is interesting because she 
if you're here, you either have beaten this or you don't care. You, you won't play it and you're just going to listen anyway. <laughs> so I'll just briefly explain what this means. So confidants are basically characters in the game that are either in your party or important NPCs that when you get to know them, uh, you form a pact with them and it kind of levels up like an RPG stat. So every character is tied to one of the cards in the major arcana of tarot, um, which, you know, I love. And uh, as you spend more time with them, it unlocks kind of scenes with those characters and they all have their own kind of personal stories that play out. And then by the end, you know, uh, they they come to some kind of conclusion and uh, you gain the benefits. So you get a couple benefits from that. One is that when you summon personas of that archetype, kind of like Pokemon replace element with the major arcana and those like the types of personas you can summon. Yeah. If I were to fuse a chariot persona and I had a really high confidant level with Ryuji, who's the chariot uh, arcana, I would get a big level bonus to that. Um, in addition to that, all the confidants uniquely to that character have some kind of bonus. So like uh, the guidance counselor, for example, leveling up his confidant uh, will give you like passive bonuses in battle uh, where you just will like randomly get rid of status effects. You'll get a boost in SP that kind of stuff. Other characters like the Star Confidant, who is a professional shogi player, our favorite of the 51 World Live Classics games, uh, she lets you switch out characters in battle. So there's some like very specific things that you can get from the Confidants, which is really cool. Kasumi, you only have, she's the Faith Arcana. You only have five levels with her in the beginning. And she's an interesting character because in the beginning, it's not really quite clear what her importance is. She just kind of feels like the new character, you know? Like, she shows up and I really liked her. I liked her scenes and she always felt like she had a very special relationship with Joker, the protagonist, but I wasn't really clear what her role was going to be. And throughout the whole game, like she shows up and there are scenes added unique to her. There's even a point where she, it's revealed she's a persona user. Her persona is uh, the French name for Cinderella, which I like. Mm. And around the final palace of the original game, she's like, hey, I want to help Alec. Can I join the Phantom Thieves? And Joker and Morgana are like, nah, we're okay, actually. And it's like, it just feels weird that, like, I think it would have been much better if she joined earlier, you know? Yeah. Like, if she, because, like, she seems a little bit separate from the ensemble. So when she does join, it feels a little bit tacked on. But that being said, she's a great character. And I'll get into, like, how her story picks up in the new semester. But her, her whole kind of vibe in the events of the original game is she's this uh she's kind of almost the opposite of you where like you are this student who has a criminal record that was given to you because you tried to do the right thing but you were you know blamed by this really corrupt politician we we know the backstory you're you're coming into this school this prestigious high school with kind of like a shady record and no one really trusts you and like you know everyone's kind of glad you have a bad reputation right where she's coming in and she is like kind of held on this pedestal and she's a star gymnast and everyone kind of expects the world from her. Yeah. So there's sort of this this duality happening between you two, which I enjoyed. And I'll get into that more. The guidance counselor uh, confidant, we talked about directly in the bonus episode. And I thought that that was a really cool addition. And, and he basically shows up 
after the events of the first palace, the school's like, man, these kids have all gone through a lot. We need a guidance counselor here. And he shows up and like, even independent of your confidant relationship with him, all the characters kind of go to him on their own free will and like kind of find a lot of value from it. Yeah. Which is great. It's really good. Yeah. He's a great character and uh, I'll get more into him later. And Akechi. So Akechi, do you know Akechi's deal? I know you're like around the third palace of the original game or a P5R, but... Uh, let me Google Akechi real quick and see if I met him. <laughs> yeah, I'll I did. Tell you more about He's him the more. detective, okay. right? Mm-hmm. Yes. So Akechi is, he shows up around the second or third palace. He is a celebrity boy detective who's right. kind of like, he and Joker are like, if you rewrote Death Note. I was just about flipped. to say, that it's, yeah. it's Death Note, yeah. It, it's a very L and light kind of scenario. So he's kind of on to you. Like, you share kind of like a Moriarty rivalship, but like there is something underneath there. And in the original game, Akechi's confidant level just progressed naturally. So like every other, conf- most confidants in the game, you have to seek out on your own to level up. And there are a handful that level up organically as you play them. And Akechi was one of them. Mm. It was scripted in the game. It would max out at a certain point. And Akechi... It is a really fascinating character, even in the original game. I think he's even better here. Uh, but in the original game, he is posed as this kind of antagonist who is just so infuriating. You know, whenever you see him, he's like, oh, I didn't know you all travel together. Are you friends? Like, he just immediately knows you're all the Phantom right, Thieves, right? right, right? Yeah. Uh, and, Ry- you know, Ryuji's like, it's so great being Phantom Thieves. And he's like, oh, nice to see you. And he's like, fuck, Akechi yeah. knows. <laughs> At a certain point in the game, Akechi just shows up and is like, hey, I've got pictures of you entering the realm. Like, I've seen you do this yeah i know this place exists and i'm gonna like bust all of you unless you help me with this so around the sixth palace akechi actually joins the phantom thieves because you have a common goal and it's it's a little bit so you know in the very 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 beginning of the original game the first scene is you getting busted like you're trying to get out of a palace you get caught and the cops are like one of your teams sold you out right And that's me. And the whole game then is kind of framed in this interrogation scene between you and Sai Nijima, who's asking you to kind of retell the events. And Sai is, of course, Makoto's older sister. And I always really enjoy that element of like, oh, shit, who's going to betray me? And as soon as Akechi joins, I'm like, it's obviously going to be him. (laughs) Like, there's no way it's not. And of course he does. He sells you out. And then it's revealed, a lot is revealed about Akechi there, because he's kind of like the sort of an anti-hero through most of the game. Then he like falls really headfirst into being just like the villain. He is revealed to not only be the son of the corrupt politician who blamed you in the very beginning of the game, he's the bastard child of that politician. He's also a persona user who has been being used as a tool for the mental shutdowns across the country. So he's the one that's been killing people in the cognitive realm. It's worth noting that Joker and all his friends have this power to go into the cognitive realm and they can rechange criminals' hearts. They can go in and and there's a series of very corrupt individuals who are in positions of power that they change, but they kind of have a justice league path that they're not going to kill. If they kill the unconscious mind of someone, they die. You know, they they cease to exist. And Akechi's been doing that. So Akechi's plan is basically to kill you and then to kill his father and like just kind of move on with his life. Uh, his dad is not kind to him. He's 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 a very tragic villain, but he's never redeemed. And through a series of events, you trick Akechi uh, and you end up fighting him in 
his father's palace uh, and he's lost it. You know, when he's in your party, his persona is Robin Hood and he has this guise and he's still like the, the yeah. boy detective. When you're in his father's palace, he's like in this kind of broken armor and his persona is Loki, uh, the Norse god of trickery. Mm. And the voice actor just does an incredible job. Like he he has that infuriating like, oh, I do enjoy going to cafes sometimes. You know, he has that kind of vibe. And in this ship, there's such like feralness and pain in his voice. Uh, like the way he screams persona. It's so it is the antithesis. Every other character is like, let's go. Let's work together. And he's just like screaming by himself. It's haunting. Yeah. It's really scary. You know, the, the whole game really is about saving people. You know, you're you're trying to re- you're trying to not redeem these villains, but you're trying to get them to confess their own crimes and to and to help society. And all the confidants, all these people's individual stories in the party and out of the party, you are helping. And by the end of that confidant relationship, they have turned a corner. You know, you're you're teaching them how to be themselves, very much like three houses. And and Akechi is the one character you can't save. You know, he is so far gone. And it's also revealed that there's kind of like two books of Job's happening in this world where like you and Akechi and Joker were both kind of given this power and this app from these two gods where one believed in humanity and one didn't. And Akechi was given the one who didn't. And he was, you know, in the very beginning, it's like, you are the trickster. Humanity is on the brink of ruin. You will save society. Uh, Mm. You were kind of being rooted on by the benevolent god. That's, you know, we won't get too much into that because that's where it gets a little bit too much. But uh, Akechi was, was the one told to ruin society. He's given nothing. He's Joker if he was given no friends and a a demon god and an awful absent father. Like, there's nothing happening for him. And and I think that it's really... It's really good that the, the, the game never condones him and never excuses a catchy for the evils he's done. But it just sort of shows like, here's someone you couldn't help. And in his final moments, he does sacrifice himself to like, he. It, it's not done in a hammy way. Like he just sort of does like the smallest action to give you like a glimmer of like, there might have been a part of this guy that did actually like Joker as a character. And that's where his story ends in Persona 5. And I, and I go into that because I think for a lot of players, you know, the game right kind of leaves you to interpret a catchy as you will sometimes you might just be like fuck that guy i hate him you know whatever i don't care that he died that's one interpretation and that's probably the right one to have given what he's done another is like i know he's done all this evil but there's still a part of me that like cares about this person in some weird way like there's there could have been another outcome you know if, if there was a if i had any power i maybe could have swayed this guy off the wrong path he even kind of addresses that in his dialogue where he's like, maybe if I met you all earlier, this would have been different or something like that. Mm. So one of the things that was really heavily advertised about Persona 5R is that Akechi was like rumored to be in the party. And even in the intro cinematic of the game, there's like Akechi and Joker like laughing together. So like uh, on top of that, the confidant tree with Akechi now allows you to spend time with him. And and the early scenes with Akechi are like kind of fun and they're very like weirdly heartwarming like you go out to uh, a restaurant together and Akechi's like oh I hate being noticed like this and Joker gives him his glasses and messes up his hair and he's like now you look like me no one will notice Mm. you know and like that's really nice the game kind of teases you into thinking that maybe you can actually save Akechi you know maybe this is the game that's going to let things be different (laughs) oh man 
it's not the case. So you have all these things happen with him. You get to, uh, you start playing billiards against each other. And Joker's like, I notice you're playing with like your non-dominant hand. Like, I know you're right-handed. You're playing billiards with the left hand. And he's like kind of caught off guard. And he's like, I admit I've never been beaten by anyone with my dominant hand. I'll tell you what, Joker. If you can beat me with my left hand, I'll challenge you holding nothing back. Something like that. Yeah. And then, of course, when you do, he's like, cool, meet me with mementos. And he's like ready to fight. Yeah. Uh, and you fight him and you know you walk out and he's like joker i hate you and he just like unloads all this resentment towards you and like it's it's kind of a gut punch because you're kind of lulled into this security that like oh shit like we're actually becoming friends but like he is still too far gone he's still on this path of ruin that like you can't save him from but there's a little bit of added dialogue where like that whole confident relationship ends with uh, him challenging you to he throws his glove at you he's like I challenge you to a duel uh, and he's like oh I promise like when this is all over when when our common interest ends we'll have a duel for good you know that will be like our our bond right mm-hmm. um, and uh, that's something you say to him in his final moments in that palace you're like I, I'm still gonna wait for you for our duel and like there's a moment like a small smile on his face before he dies so all that to say when the when Persona 5 ends and you're kind of going through the familiar beats akechi kind of shows up and that's where the plot gets very different so i know i've been i've been talking a lot do you have any questions at this point no i just want to hear what happens in the new stuff okay cool cool cool. i'm excited to Um, find out yeah so basically what happens is at the end of persona 5 you fight the perceived god of control you kind of fight like the collective unconscious of people wanting to not make decisions for themselves and and you fight this god and whatever and that's where the original game ends and you've kind of like refused to have you know because at a certain point that god gives you a choice of like reality and mementos merge and it's horrific but no one sees what's happening which I, i i found a lot of thematic power in where like all the characters are like how does no one see that there are like bones coming out of the ground and it's raining blood and everyone's like oh it's another day yeah the god is like i can revert reality to how it was and and the phantom thieves will be as popular as ever but i'm still kind of in power or you can reject that which is obviously the right choice but it does let you choose which leads to kind of like the bad ending so in the original game you do that and everyone's happy and it's actually a very fun moment even as silly as it is you summon satan to shoot the god of control it's it fucking rules uh (laughs) anyway in the new game when you do that and in you you're going to turn in the original game what happens you do that you go back to reality size like hey we can charge Shido for all his crimes, but like you kind of have to turn yourself in for this to be viable because all of this rides on the fact that you are the Phantom Thief. Like, right. if we can't prove that, we can't charge Shido. So in the original game, you do that, but like because of all your friends and allies, you're like, you know, condoned of all your crimes and you can live a happy life on your own. Hmm. It's, it's a very nice ending. And this one fucking Akechi shows up and he's like, I'll turn myself in. And you're like, oh my God, he's alive. No way. Okay. What is this? He does that, and then what follows is weirdly like too good to be true. So you're with all your friends. It's winter. Everyone's got cool jackets. The winter fashion is unparalleled. Yeah. And you're hanging out with all your friends. Like, we should have a party. Like, let's do this. And then all the characters are kind of saying stuff that, like, 
it's easy to miss at first and then you're like wait a minute what's going on here ryuji's like yeah i got track team practice like i'll be i'll see you guys after that on is like yeah me and shihu are going to her big volleyball match and nakoda's like futaba's like yeah i'm hanging out with mom after school and you're like i know for a fact that all of this is not the case yeah 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 what ended up happening is that when the Phantom Thieves killed that guy out of control, they kind of left a vacancy and mementos for something else for the public to believe in. And in that moment, it was the Phantom Thieves because, you know, they had the rally of the crowds and everyone believed in them. But the Phantom Thieves, because mementos is all about your unconscious, all the Phantom Thieves unconsciously gave that power to their beloved guidance counselor, the therapist, <laughs> who... When he was given that power, his desire was to make all their wishes come true. Whoa. He knew what all their trauma was and wanted to undo all of that. Whoa. So he has inadvertently made this reality where all of their dreams have come true. And and it's it's a really kind of interesting setup where like you as Joker are you and Akechi are the only people who know like something's up. And Akechi's like, you know, kind of at this point he has dropped the the persona. He's dropped the facade of being this kind of Bieber-esque beloved celebrity. He's just unhinged and scary yeah but he is like you and i know something's not up here and like is like (laughs) asking you to like check in with them and you have to go to all your friends and kind of like break it to them that this isn't real and it's it's really hard to do because they all seem really happy you know you go you see them with their lost loved ones or you see them engaging in something that has been taken from them and and the line you give them is like i'll be waiting for you like once you kind of give them the cue that something's up you're like i'll be waiting for you uh and and of course you and a catchy find out that Maruki, the guidance counselor, actually has a palace. Uh, it's this like laboratory mm-hmm. and he is using his research, research to create this new reality. You know, and he's like, I don't know. I don't want to fight you guys. I don't know why you're mad at me. This is what you all wanted. Yeah. I'm just trying to make you happy. And, and I have to say, I, I said this in our earlier episode, I was really worried he was going to be the villain um, because I really liked that character. Yeah. And there's a, there's a little bit of a part of me that's disappointed that like the therapist has done this because this is so like antithetical to like what a what a therapy session is supposed to do that being said every every villain in this game is antithetical to what they should be doing so like this is just another example of that right yeah where like he is a therapist who is unequipped to like responsibly handle he's had his own loss too and he's kind of obsessed with his own research where like this has kind of happened because the cast wished for it it's almost an inverse of the whole game that every villain in the game has this palace that's their distorted desires and it's horrific and it's scary but their desires are very small they're very personal and seeing that the new villain is just someone who wants to give that to them is very tragic in a way yeah i guess my um, question is how is that villainous right like if if the horrible god of control that was ruling mementos is dead and it's been replaced with somebody who just wants to do good then how how is that villainous how is he the villain in that case and the game questions that a lot the game every character is kind of asking like is he doing the wrong thing by trying to make like our our worries go away yeah if the idea is that mementos is always going to be around anyway so somebody has to fill that spot yeah. then isn't the best case scenario that a therapist who wants to do good by everybody specifically the heroes who saved Tokyo? like being in that spot isn't that the best case scenario well and it's even aided by the fact that the only person at this point who's on your side is a catchy who is now wearing like broken dragoon armor armor yeah he has loki as his persona and when it's his turn he goes i will 
break them. And it's like so <laughs> scary. Yeah. Like I, I really, I, I, I know I'm bringing weird energy here, but like I really oddly love Unhinged Akechi because he's not like in in a in a simpler version they would have like let you save him or they would have redeemed him, but they're just like giving you him as he is, and yeah. it's terrifying. You know, like every uh, every group of characters have a Showtime attack where it's like this kind of over the top cinematic that's very goofy, and his is so scary. <laughs> he's like, let's do this, Joker, and it's him just like running in like a Gotham street, like slashing at the camera. It's so, but he's very good. He's a very good party member. Anyway, the reason it's villainous is because he's not asking people for this. And, and, and there's something about, you know, if you, if you had someone in your life that just kind of undid all the tragedy you went through and undid all the growth you made as a person because of that, that's not really helping you as much as it is just giving you a false reality. Mm. Right? Like, oh, a lot so of none of these people know that their lives have been altered. No, they, you, you have to convince them all, you know? So like, okay. he's basically going to make That is definitely yeah. villainous then. I get, yeah. I get what you're talking about. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, think I, I think I misinterpreted that originally because the idea of like, of Ryuji, for example, being like accepted back with open arms into the track oh, team and stuff no, no, no. is very different than him thinking that he had never been kicked out in the first place. Right, yeah. The tragedy never happened. Like, yeah. Futaba's mom never died. Right, right, Morgana's right. a human. Uh <laughs> <laughs> like they never went through those moments and and yeah it's very different than like because that's you know going through that growth would be great but this is just like what if that never happened and you could just live happily ever after with no worries at all um yeah okay so that's what maruki is doing and it, it's really fascinating now uh kasumi yoshizawa uh she joins the fan of these at this point and it's revealed you know that her whole story up until now has been like trying her best to impress others you know she's constantly using honorifics she's constantly you know like apologizing and all this stuff and and she's like always kind of devastated like despite how much she practices when she goes to these gymnastic contest she gets like second or third and is like ridiculed for it you mm-hmm. know you can hear and that's kind of why maruki's like oh my like he he really does want to help these kids but he's not doing it in the right way which is you know kind yeah. of tragic but her whole story that's revealed is that she had a twin sister who died in front of her in a car accident and it was such a tragic incident that she has chosen to live as her since then so oh she's not She's not Kasumi. Her name is Sumire. And like you kind of see this cutscene where she's like unwilling to go back to living as herself, basically. Yeah. Like she wants to live as and that kind of aids this Cinderella persona. You know, you're someone else right, for right, a right. night. Yeah. Jeez. And Maruki kind of shows you all this and he's like, Can't you understand why I would want her to live as who she wants to be and be happy? Like, are you mm-hmm. really gonna make her go through this? And you're like, and it doesn't help your case that your only ally at this point is fucking a catchy. Yeah. <laughs> he's like let me kill them, you know. Uh, but then when you're fight, you, you had to fight Maruki's like Lovecraftian persona and it's just you and Akechi and like you can't really pull it off. And then your friends you've convinced this reality isn't real have shown up. And it's it's very exciting. So I really think it's an interesting twist on the game. I think it's like very much the inverse of what you've been doing since then, where it's now about what did the cast want? You know, if they had their own palace, what would it be? And it's not distorted. It's not villainous. It's just they wanted to not go through this pain. And who would say no to that, really? And the fact that they do and the fact that they're like, we can't like that is also part of us, you know, and that's what the game is largely about. And its best moments is like, yeah. my persona is my repressed id. 
I have to accept all parts of me to be me. I can't just live in this dreamland. I think it's really cool. I think it's a really cool story. And in terms of gameplay, it opens up in that, like, you can also check in with old confidants if you didn't max them all out, which I have not. And yeah, it's really cool. It, it does work as a standalone story. And I almost wish Kasumi was introduced into the party earlier to make that moment really hit hard. You know, mm. if she was like known by everyone, because only really you know her. If the whole group like knew and trusted her as who she was presenting herself to be and then realized that she's someone else, that would have like been even more of a gut punch. But as it is, it's, it's, it's a very haunting moment. And, yeah. and, and even as they decided, all the characters are like, hey, Joker, like there, there are now new moments where like normally with the party members, whenever you get their confidant relationship to the max level, they reach this kind of eureka moment in their lives and their persona evolves into something else. Mm. I think they've added in this new part is their personas evolve again when they're like, hey, I'm sorry I didn't really trust you and I wanted to live there, but like I'm ready to you know accept reality as it is. And what's really neat is that the personas evolve kind of back to how they were originally. So, like, um, for example, uh, Morgana's persona is Zoro, like, you know, this broad-chested dude with a sword. And then the evolution is Mercurius, which is, like, a Roman uh, god of tricksters or of, uh, like, a Hermes kind of god. And their evolution is Diego, which is, like, a buffer Zoro. And Diego uh, is the name that that Zoro actually went by. Yeah. So, it's, like, now their persona is dropping the facade entirely. Same with Anz. Anz is Carmen. And then her final evolution is the actress who played Carmen. Hmm. So, I love this idea that their final form is, like, the true identity behind even their persona. Yeah. It's really cool, man. I, I, I really am responding well to the new characters and to this, this idea that's at play. I think it's a really interesting final, final boss. I do, you know, I, I do wish that it wasn't like I can't part of me wishes that Maruki was just like a positive influence and it was that left at that yeah it is kind but of I a think, bummer I think that they they are doing it in an interesting way that isn't like it doesn't feel like he had this like it doesn't even feel like he had this plan all along it just feels like it kind of happened mm-hmm. by circumstance you yeah. know right 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 it's like oh I've been given this this ability I might as well use it for good yeah exactly without really so, thinking about the consequences right right so yeah I, I, I think it's really incredible Thank you for letting me gush about it. I know that was a lot, but I, I think it's great. It's definitely worth experiencing playing up until. Yeah. Yeah, it sounds cool. I mean, I have it and I should probably play up until that point. It's going to take a while. It is going to take a while. I think I'm on the fourth yeah. palace or the fifth palace at this point, you know, so I'm like, I'm like a decently far way in, I guess, but still like nowhere near close. And I, I have to make sure I'm doing all this stuff so I don't accidentally get to the end and not have the extra semester unlocked. Yeah, it, it, it's it's not too bad. I mean, you just have to max out Kasumi, Akechi, and Maruki. And like, you can do that pretty easily, but it is, you know, you do have to know that for sure. Yeah. I mean, in hearing you explain it, although I, I do understand why this isn't a thing that you can just select from the main menu and play separately. Like, it does really feel like it needs to have the it has to be um, integrated with the rest of the story to really work. And I mean, you know, I just I love these characters so much that like seeing them in this kind of new setting is almost enough, you know, like seeing mm-hmm. them in a new trial and a new kind of place. And the fact that it isn't just like, here's a bigger and better villain. It's like, here's someone you trusted through the whole game. 
yeah who is trying to help you but it's in the worst way possible that's a really interesting twist on the formula and like having evil asaketchi help you is like even <laughs> I, I i it's so it's so fun it's a really thrilling experience um that's like making me feel the way i did when i first played the original that's great that's awesome yeah well that's a uh, persona 5 royal <laughs> for the playstation 4 only yeah sadly uh hopefully it gets to pc one day after you know they ported persona 4 uh yeah that happens i really hope that or to switch but you know cool you want to wrap up I know, I know i dumped a lot of lore on you so we're both kind of reeling but you know yeah yeah I, th- I think it's i think it's time i think it's time to wrap up um <laughs> thank you all so much for for listening to the show um i hope my uh very low-key poconos energy was an interesting listen at least um for those of you who want to uh, explore more of what we have on offer you can go to into the cast dot online to find us on twitter and on instagram and we have a youtube page and we have a twitch account um we have well, which actually uh, by the time this episode comes out, I think Splunky 2 will be live, so I probably will have streamed that by Whoa. then, which is Hell yeah. very exciting. Um, I'm so excited for you. And uh, what else is there? We have a link to the Medium. Uh, you just wrote a really great piece about uh, oh, thank you. about um, getting into RPGs, which uh, is wonderful. And I think also by the time this episode comes out, there might be another piece from me on there that I have ported over from my other blog onto there. Um, so there might be even more stuff there. We're talking about like just how to keep the medium going. Um, yeah, so all that stuff is available at Into the Cast Online. If you really, really, really want to support the show, as we always say, the best way to help it grow is to just share it with a friend. Um, we don't really, I mean, we have in the past, but we don't really pay for ads for the show or anything. Um, all of the growth is just word of mouth, you know? So if you know somebody that you think would like the show, uh, just share it with them. That'd be great. But if you like want to do even more on top of that, uh, you can go to patreon.com slash into the cast and support the show there. Uh, that link is also available at into the Casa online. And, uh, yeah, thank you so much to everybody who has done that. As we always say, if donating to the show in any way impacts you negatively financially, uh, please just don't do it. It's okay. We're going to be fine, uh, with or without it. The, the Patreon just allows us to do more cool stuff. Uh, check out games that we, you know, are interested in, but like, don't know if we want to, uh, fully commit to, um, like death stranding, like death stranding, which is always <laughs> our example. Um, yeah. Yeah, I actually liked a lot. Yeah, things like that. Um, so thank you so much to everybody who has done that. Your names are in the show notes. Uh, thank you. As always. And uh, yeah, I'm trying to think. Oh, yeah. And also uh, join the Discord, which is also available at Into the Cast Online. You can find the link there. Uh, the Discord is great. Um, what else is there? Uh, so the magician arcana is usually tied to the sort of best friend archetype, but mm-hmm. in five's case, it's Morgana who's sort of the guide, which is tied to the classical definition of the magician who is sort of the teacher of tarot. The major arcana kind of follows a story of sorts, which you can see most visibly in the transition between the tower and the star. Uh, the tower is most synonymous with like sudden tragedy. I mean, it's not it's not you know subtle it's a tower getting struck by lightning and two people falling out of it and it's on fire Mm -hmm. uh and then the next one is sort of like a little glimmer of hope after that and then you get into the you know more cosmic ones cool my name is the five of cups you can find me on the internet at brendan bigley (laughs) and i'm judgment you can find me at stephen hilger have a wonderful week everybody goodbye you never saw it coming
W-G, the worst garbage dot online.